an award-winning, an award-winning Brazilian composer. He is poised to take over the Hollywood film scoring scene. Don't go anywhere as we get ready to gab with music orchestrator Leandro Gardini. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. And we're opening with some of the incredible music composed by Leandro Gardini. Before we get to Leandro, though, I have to introduce myself. My name is Katerina Kazayas, and I'm your host today on Concert Experience. We are so pumped to be here because we have an opportunity to sit down with really talented musicians. You can get a hold of me before we get into the musician discussions anytime via my Twitter handle, at Katerina Kazayas. You can also find me there on Instagram. So, at Katerina Kazayas gets you gabbing with me. But we are here today to gab with... Leandro Gardini. Leandro, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. you I'm are... so glad and thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. You are such a talented, talented person and we are going to help expose that to the rest of the world today because I absolutely believe in my heart that people need to know who you are. <laughs> they do already and, and that's why you're here. Uh, uh, you have created uh, a real buzz for yourself, a real pedigree in Brazil. But you are now in Los Angeles. Can you help share a little bit of your story for our audience of how you went from being a music composer in Brazil, starting really from your young age to being here in the studio with us in Hollywood? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I'm, my background was not really music. I mean, my family background. Okay. I'm the first musician in, in the family. And I, st I started somewhat... Uh, not very early, in the, at an early age. I started with 13. Oh, wow, that's yeah. pretty old. Yeah, I mean, considering. At, fi at 15, I was already composing. And uh, when I was 12 years old, I heard for the first time some soundtracks. Mm -hmm. To be more specific, I've heard the Gladiator soundtrack, Hans yeah. Zimmer. And I got so passionate about it. Huh. My background was, up to that time, my background was being classical trained classical music and mm. I wanted to be a classical composer mm. but when I started to get involved in film music I got a passion I said no I want to be more specific in film music but orchestral film music which is my really strength is orchestral film right. music and and so you are actually um, orchestrating and the, you know the word orchestra means to create to produce to develop music what is music well, what when is we break it down, <laughs> it's a good question. What is yeah, music? What I, is I keep music? I keep asking myself every day. Sure. I don't know what is it because right. people say it's sounds that create emotions, but is it really? If you see someone screaming in the street, it creates an emotion <laughs> to you, but it's not really music. This is a good point. Well, I don't know what is music, but yeah, but and and, and but but we all know to identify music when we hear it, and I believe what you said earlier, there is an emotion attached to it. Were you, uh, you studied music obviously then from when you were a young boy? Yeah, I studied music. I, I started with piano, actually, mm -hmm. electronic keyboards mm -hmm. uh, for one year. Then I went to the piano and then to composition. I first started composition by my own okay. and without any teacher or whatever. Wow. I mean, just studied by myself. I, I wanted to express my own music on that. And uh, on, when I was 15, I was composing my first piano concerto. Very impressive. <laughs> and you were awarded in 2011 
uh, a very prestigious award in this field uh, in Brazil. The 2000, you were the 2011 winner of, um, I think it was uh, the uh, composer Compose revelation. revelation of the year. Yeah. How did that feel to win that award? Well, I, I've been I up to that time I was already uh, scored scoring many movies, mm -hmm. not not most of them not in Brazil. Okay. Uh, but some of them in Brazil. But I had a program like yours. Okay. Yes. That time. <laughs> you had a talk show, uh, your own talk show. Yeah, that you produced. I was the I was the hoster of the show. And what was the show about? It was about soundtracks and classical music. And interviewing classical <laughs> artists. Yeah. That's funny. In so now Brazil. the tables have turned. Yeah. And instead of being the interviewer, you are the interviewee. I am now in the opposite <laughs> side. And it's really weird for me to be in the opposite side because I was to get to get questions to the... Sure to the guests, yes. but now I'm, I'm replying to that. And, now you're well, on that's side. amazing, but I, I love it. So you were doing this, this uh, talk show, this TV talk show in Brazil? I had it for almost three years, mm -hmm. and I can say that I interviewed a lot of people. I, I had a goal to interview all of them, but I interviewed almost all of them. Amazing. I mean, people that are relevant yes. to the classical and mm -hmm. or orchestral Now, did you, going back for just a moment to your childhood, were your parents musical? No, they are not musical. Not even today. Wow. <laughs> and yet you sort of fell into, even before you went into the orchestra side, even the classical side, do you have siblings? No, I, yeah, I have one brother. Okay, is he He's musical? Older. He's older than me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he, we used to have a band together, <laughs> but he's like a heavy metal guy. Okay. <laughs> he's the opposite side of me. That's funny. And uh, I remember when we were children only and I use it to like the sound of or orchestra. Mm, it's a very violin. rich sound. Yeah, but my brother used it to like heavy metal <laughs> at that time. And, uh, but that time in his defense was sort of the early 90s probably where you had the heavy metal bands like Metallica, yes, Guns N' Roses. Yes, exactly. you, there was that yeah. influence. Where on earth did you get your classical influence from? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I remember when when people were Turning, turning the radio mm -hmm. in several stations, and most of them obviously they they are just uh, popular music. Sure. But when I use it to to hear the violins, the sound of violins, the orchestra, mm -hmm. I say, why don't you leave on that station? I say, no, it's too boring. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, but, but I I use it to love that sound. Yes, absolutely. And so you had um, you you had won the award in Brazil for composer revelation of the year. What does that mean? Explain that to the audience. Well, it's called APCA. Okay. APCA. And uh, it's a, one of the main awards that we have in Brazil. It's a pretty good one. Yes, just, oh, absolutely. Just top yeah. artists. But yes. it's not only for music. It's from TV, from radio, mm -hmm. whatever. All kind of artists go there. And sure. they have once a year this. And you were the composer of the year in 2011. That is a big, big honor. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It is. Now, how did you make the transition from Los Angeles? Uh, I'm sorry, from Brazil. What part of Brazil are you from? Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo, which I've always wanted to go to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how did you make the transition? And what, what was the driver behind your decision to come to the Los Angeles area? Because you do live here now. Yeah, I live here, mm -hmm. and it comes from beliefs. Okay. I always wanted to compose for big blockbuster movies. That was my passion, my desire. Okay. I was just composing for current movies, low-budget movies and things like that. 
And I was in a hope that someone would see me on the internet and <laughs> would call me, oh, come here, you are talented. Everybody knows, not everybody, but most people know that it's not going to happen. There's a lot of great composers living here in mm. L.A. Mm. And why would a great director call me in Brazil and say, hey, Leandro, come here, if they have many great composers here? Here in the backyard. doesn't make sense. Mm. And I was already almost decided to come here, but I was in Europe. Mm. And in Europe, I was in a workshop, and mm. one of the tutors of the workshop was, was Christopher Young. He's a Hollywood composer. Mm. And he listened to my music and said, why, why don't you go to L.A. and work for me for a few months? Wow. That's what I needed. And then I came and I decided to stay. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, it's very interesting because I think for anyone that really does have a, a vision and a goal for themselves, who wants to work in a field, and Los Angeles offers that, it, it really is, uh, bar none, the one place that is creating and developing these blockbuster movies and a lot of the video and television and musical content that is then shared with the rest of the world. Yeah. Not to say that a lot of these countries don't do their own thing, and most countries have very active artistic uh, yeah, abilities and, and artists that live in those countries, but Los Angeles and, and possibly New York for theater are really the epicenters of the world, I think. Maybe London as well for theater. Well, there's a movement happening that is part of the globalization. Mm. And uh, f like uh, in Dubai, they're opening studios there. Mm -hmm. And also in New Zealand, mm -hmm. they're opening studios there. And I believe, I don't know, but I believe that in 10 years from now, or maybe a little bit more, Los Angeles won't be anymore the place mm -hmm. for blockbuster. It will be diversified to some other places in the world. Mm -hmm. But... Los Angeles will still be a great place to be in if you want to be like a, yes. a, a good professional in the movie industry. You, um, you had at one point decided to, uh, was it work under or work with or work uh, through John Williams? Now, for those of you at home who may not know the composer John Williams, he is arguably the biggest and best music film score orchestrator no, in the world. No he's question worked, about that. He's worked on films such as Jurassic Park, uh, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, uh, the Harry Potter movies. I mean, this man has been in the business for years and has really, uh, really done well. Talk to me about his influence on your uh, life and music and aspirations. Well, like me, I think most of the people, they agree with your statements. He is the best film composer ever. And no other composer had, has composed so many memorable teams. Mm. And uh, he's, he's, he's worked on E.T. He's worked on, uh, you know, so many, um, so many different projects he's worked on. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, uh, Superman, he, I think, as well. Yeah, he's yeah. amazing. I, I guess uh, everybody can sing John Williams. Mm -hmm. Probably not everybody knows who is John Williams, but sure. everybody can sing John Williams. <laughs> and uh, you have to have reference when you want to learn. Mm. And, of course, my reference is him. Mm. But here in the industry, like a music, few music composers, we have a problem. Okay. I don't believe many people understand the mind of John Williams. How he thinks music to get that result. You know, we have a lot of studies about 
some other composers, but I've never seen people explaining the techniques mm -hmm. and how John Williams think about music. So like three years ago, I decided to get the full score of John Williams and start studying his scores. And it, Interesting. It was, it was really uh, funny because I was in my studio. I used to stare at the screen of the computer for half an hour, only silence. Just looking at the music composition. Yeah, just thinking what this guy was thinking. I, I, up to that time, I already had studied many theories mm -hmm. and things that opened my mind for new universes about composition. And I thought, well, maybe now it's time to understand John Williams. And I got to his score and I could not understand. And I said, no. So nothing can explain, but I, there must be an explanation about it. Okay. And I used it to ponder about his scores. Okay for many, many minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes in silence. And I said, well, probably he was thinking like this. Mm. And I used to write down. It's not like a music, writing down music, but thoughts. He, here he was thinking like this, like mm. this, like this, like this. And I used to write down a lot, a lot. The way he was thinking. After some, some, uh, e some years, not some, uh, some weeks of studying, I mean, now it's time to put it into practice. Let's think, let's make sure that my thought about his thought is right. Okay, how do you go about <laughs> doing that? And then I decided to mimic him. Okay, wow. On some ch small chunks of music. And to my surprise, I was right on my guess. <laughs> and then when I showed that to some people in the industry, um, I mean musicians, they said, man... That's so amazing. Just, just so I'd that, like to so see that. I was going to say so that I make sure that I understand uh, and the viewers understand, you basically took what you had come to understand was his thought process behind the music and took that thought process and created new music or tried to recreate his no, music? No, no, create new music based okay. on the thoughts, on his thoughts. On his thoughts. And, <laughs> and this is a little bit fascinating to me, and I'm sure it's fascinating to the viewers at home because in my mind... I always consider music to be creative. But in listening to you, it sounds as though there is a real analytical side of the brain that is used and tapped into to produce the music. Well, uh, there's a long debate about that. Okay. Uh, what is being creative? Because people think, oh, you have to create something totally new. But it's, I think today it's impossible to create something totally new. Mm. You are always you are, you have backgrounds. We have twelve notes mm -hmm. in in the in the normal Western music, and we have scales. We have everything. So it's almost impossible mm -hmm. to compose. We have even noise. We are talking about music. What is music? It's noise. We have even noise music. Yeah. We have all that kind of stuff. But we always have our background. What we've learned about. Oh, sorry, mm -hmm. and. Uh, Imitation is part of the process of learning. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you have to find your own voice. Yes, that's true. You have to find. But you get matured mm -hmm. uh, imitating others. It's like a, a small child. Mm. A small child is growing, is growing up and the first thing that he or she does is start to imitate his, what, uh, the his or her father, do, right? the parents, yes. the, yeah, the, the people that, that are most near to him. Mm -hmm. That's part of the... And then when it comes to the teenager age or something like that, he gets uh, some... A little uh, bit of, of his own ideas. His own and ideas his own, and things yeah. like that. So it's part of the process. Mm -hmm. If you are, if you want to learn 
I believe that if you want to learn about art, not only music, but everything, mm -hmm. you have to have idols. Mm -hmm. You have to have people, role models that you can mimic and you can find your own voice through them. Who were some of your early role models? Were they Brazilian in nature or were they, were they American Hollywood? You said you didn't get into it until a little bit later in life. Well, my, f my favorite composer, classical composer, yeah. is Chopin. Ah, yes. <laughs> and, uh, but curiously, my music, there's nothing to do with him and mm. shouldn't. Do you, I, I assume you started playing Chopin as a young, as a young boy? Yeah, and he's still my, my, mm. my favorite composer. Mm -hmm. I don't listen to him every day, his music every day, but he's still mm. my, my, my favorite composer. And my favorite composer in film music is, of, of course, you know. Yes. I don't have to tell. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, John Williams. Yeah. Yes. But that's it. And... Uh, the process is like this. Mm. You have to like something. Mm. You have to imitate something. And that's the project about John Williams. Mm -hmm. And as far as I know, there's a great demand in the industry the, for musicians to know what this book I'm writing about, John Williams, is about. So you're writing a book about John Williams and the John Williams method? Yeah. That you think which you have I understood? <laughs> which I believe it's his method. Wow. You know, I don't know yet because I don't know John Williams. I met yes. him, I have met him twice okay. by chance. Sure. And, but I don't, I don't think he knows about my project. Okay. Well, he may be interested to hear about it because it sounds as though you are trying to uh, offer something to the rest of the musicians and the composers, the film composers out there that will give a little bit of a roadmap almost to the genius that he has exhibited. Yes, exactly. Right? It really yeah. is genius what he yeah. has been able to do. Yeah. And uh, one of the most important things is that people think, oh, it's a method, it's a new kind of method for composing. No, it's not really a new kind of method. It's not, it's not new techniques. Mm -hmm. It's just the way of he thinks music. Hmm. Uh, it's hard to explain <laughs> even for a musician it's hard to explain right. that but it's not real new techniques right i don't think i can write new techniques for music now you had um you had in, in your attempt to uh model his work you decided to take one of his projects which was jurassic park and do a musical score for that for a scene in jurassic park that hadn't been scored before. We have that with us. Uh, if we can, um, if we can pull up the uh, the John Williams uh, Jurassic Park piece, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, that's the Avatar. Uh, this is this is uh, this is Avatar. Actually, if we can put a okay, so we'll put a pause on this one for just a moment because this is a really interesting story too yeah. that I want to get to the Avatar stuff in a moment. Uh, but we're going to put on the Jurassic Park theme now. Yeah. For our, uh, for our viewers and our audio listeners, because again, we do stream on both YouTube and on iTunes podcast. Here we go. So now the sounds that we're hearing, like the birds in the background and this music coming in, is this your music? It's my music. Wow. And is this a replica of his music? No. There's this no is, music in this scene. This particular scene had no music before. There's no music. And so what you did is you decided to use this scene to introduce your yes. rendition of what you would consider music for this scene. Yes. That is fascinating to me. 
Let's watch this for a few minutes. And, and it's interesting because you can feel the crescendo and the emotion in this music. I had studied uh, in drama, uh, a drama class when I was in university, and part of what they had done was they had taken a scene like this and pressed mute, so there was no music being played. And then they took the scene and they showed it with the music. And the emotion that the music creates is almost double as powerful as the visual effects. You can stop the video. It's it's incredible. Yeah, this scene. People that see this scene with the music now, they say, "I can't believe this music." There's this no music scene in this scene. Used to have scene. no music. But there's no music. Right. In the original version of in the this original scene. version, there's no music. Right. Yeah, it was a chunk of the movie that I when I saw it, I thought, "What a great opportunity to put my music." And everything that I have studied about the com the real composer of the movie yeah. in it. Now, to, to, in order to do this, because again, you know, we are in the in the twenty first century, it requires a lot of technology. So, not only are you musically inclined, you clearly have an ability to work with technology. How much how much goes into something like this that is music versus the technology to put that music together? Because I assume that you don't have a fifty-piece orchestra at home that you work with. Unfortunately, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I like to compose for orchestras, and yes. I don't have an orchestra right. available for me twenty-four hours seven. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And yeah, we we have to have some some equipment. Sure. At home. But but it's your ability to know when to insert the violin, when to insert the cello, when to insert the piano, that that really creates the music well the, the way that people are composing today is that they go directly to their down I mean to their okay. down to their computer and they, they just see the scene and they improvise most of people are doing like this with the sounds of the orchestra okay my but my way is a kind of old-fashioned okay how so I write a score first the full score first I spot the scene spot means putting the numbers uh, at at minute 1.2 seconds. When when Tyrannosaurus Rex is going to yeah. bite someone, yeah. you want the music to be higher. Sure. I, I write every happening in the score first okay. when there's no note and then I start rescoring. And that's the process. And when I have the full score and then I go to my equipment, sample libraries, whatever, to make it sound. Now, does this process relax you or stress you out? <laughs> because me listening to it, it stresses me out. Well, I guess I passed you the energy of stressing <laughs> because, yeah, working with technology, I mean, technology is great. Yeah. You know, you can work in things like that and make sure. it sound as real orchestra, yeah. but 
it takes time. Okay. You know, and uh, I, I usually say that out of one hour composing an orchestrator, it takes one day for programming mm. the music on a computer because you are dealing with a machine. Mm. If you're dealing with musicians, you just say, oh, play more softly. Uh, it's horns are too loud and things right. like that and then you conduct them the way you want mm -hmm. but machine doesn't know mm -hmm. it doesn't think yes and you have to tell to the machine each little so, so, time so you're, thing about you, you are literally putting every piece of this music together as you see it and hear it in your own mind yeah wow yeah that is incredible creative ability it takes time yes yeah. sometimes it takes a, a little bit of pain in your <laughs> shoulders and things like that but It's amazing because oh, yeah. uh, I'm driven by the result and uh -huh. not by the difficulty of, mm. the, of the problems. So when you have the image in yourself, you have the, the sound in your mind and you know what is there and you want to express that through the computer. It doesn't matter if you have pain in your shoulder, it doesn't matter how much, mm -hmm. how much days it's going to take, how many days it's going to take. It just do it. And that is, that is a, a true testament to when, when people say have a passion for what you do. And, and I'm a really big believer in the proponent that when people have a passion for what they do, they, there is no way they will not be successful. And success, to me, doesn't necessarily mean financial success. Uh, I think first and foremost, it means intrinsic happiness and the, the, the feeling that you have achieved something. And, and oftentimes, because of that passion and that happiness and that great feeling that you happen to be in, The rest of it comes, and the ultimate result tends to be financial reward, which is always a nice thing, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, financial result is is the result of providing service. Mm. And if you want to provide service instead of earn money, yes, I think you are in the right way. Mm -hmm. It's a it's, it's a little bit different mindset. I want to earn money. And I want money through my service. But no, I want to provide service. I want to provide something to people, mm -hmm. to my community, to the world. I want to provide something. And people are going to be interested in you because you are on an interesting mindset. Yes. And of course, people buy it. Well, I had heard a, a very poignant quote that has stayed with me. And, uh, and it says, your significance is what you put into the world. Your success is what you get out of it. So you need to be significant in order to really be successful the way we think of big people like a Bill Gates or an Oprah Winfrey when we consider how much they have offered the world. There is no doubt that the correlation for them has been the, the monetary reward. Of course. You know, and, uh, and I think that goes part and parcel. You have talked to me about uh, a dream of yours And that is to work with the great director, James Cameron, specifically to ultimately be part of the renewal of the Avatar series. Yes. Let's talk uh, about this for a moment because this is a great story, folks. Listen to, listen to this story. So talk to me a little bit about James Cameron and, uh, and then we'll go backwards to Avatar number one. Well, um... They're working on four Avatar sequel. Okay. Um, Now, we've only had the one release, and that was, what, 10 years uh, ago? 12? Yeah, almost 10 years. It yes. was 2009. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they are working four now at the same time. Mm. And uh, I really have the passion 
and I really have the material. It's not only the passion, but the material, the team mm -hmm. for the Avatar sequel. And I've been working on that for the past few months on that. Working on, on scoring the music for that sequel. I was, yeah, I, I got some scenes from Avatar 1. Okay. I took the, mu the music and put my own on that. So you literally took the music from the original Avatar, original removed Avatar. it, and rescored those scenes, very similar to the way you did with Jurassic Park. Yeah. Rescored the scenes of the Avatar movie with your music. Except that Jurassic Park didn't have any music. Right. That okay, scene, but, that's true. That was just introduction of music. But Avatar has music, I've, I think, yeah. almost all the movie. Yeah. And the original composer was James Horner. Okay. And he passed away in a tragic accident almost uh, a little bit more than one year ago. Mm -hmm. He was an amazing composer. Mm -hmm. uh, I have full respect for him. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wish he could be here. Yeah. But unfortunately, he is not to provide us with his great music mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, it happened to me that when uh, I've heard about, he, about his passing, mm -hmm. I was really sad. Mm -hmm. But I had something, uh, the place for Avatar was opened. You know, the place yes. for a new composer was mm. opened. And in some way, don't ask me why I felt that, but I felt that it was for me. Huh. And it was up to me if I want to say yes or no to this challenge. Wow. And I said yes. And I'm paying the price every day <laughs> working on the Avatar. And I, I had a great idea to put my music on the first movie. movie. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, in some way, my music, there's, there's nothing to do with the James Horner music. Uh, James Horner had a conception that must be very proximate to, to the James Cameron conception, but I had my own ideas about mm -hmm. Avatar. Mm -hmm. And I, had, I composed a team for it, and I wanted to express this team in the movie. And uh, as far as I know, the team fits to the movie. Well, we have a medley <laughs> of the music that you scored for Avatar. We're going to play that right now. Seeds of the sacred tree. Very pure spirits. Uh-huh. Now this is all your music playing. Yes. Wow. And it sounds, you have captured that epic sound for me. These are epic scenes. Wow. <laughs> I mean, come on now. That is beyond impressive to me. Thank you. Wow, how wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. It must have taken a, an immense amount of time and effort. 
It takes. It, it takes. must but take. But uh, I, I told you, I'm paying sure. the price. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. You have. Uh, we have one more scene that I'd like to show and talk to us about this next one that we're going to show you. It's called First Flight. Yeah, this scene is probably the most famous scene of the movie. First Flight is when Jake tamed the dragon and he can fly mm. with it. And uh, I think it was a good opportunity to put my team on mm. that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's take a look at this one. First flight seals the bond. You cannot wait. Think, fly! Fly? You know, the one thing about the music is it's so rich, and that's why I, I'm a big fan of, of orchestras in general, because of the layers of the music. And there are so many layers. Um, I've, I have a few friends of mine that produce music, and I've had the opportunity to sit with them as uh, they work. And you can, when I say layers, it, it literally is. Yeah. And it can be five or six or seven or, or ten layers deep, and I can feel that in your music. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well... Uh, Orchestral music, I, I say that is like 3D music. Hmm. You have to have a layer. There are many things that are happening yeah. in the score right. that we don't re clearly hear that. Hmm. But it's important to be there. Mm -hmm. And probably parts of our subconscious mind are picking that up when we don't even realize we're consciously hearing it. Yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But that's and it. So, and so the goal now for you in coming up with this idea, which I personally consider genius just a genius way to showcase your ability as a composer in a way that hopefully is going to capture the attention of James Cameron and his team. That's a part, that's actually the goal of the project. Mm -hmm. I put, uh, if you go to the website, to my website, leandrogargini.com, right in the first page, you're going to see the Avatar project and there's probably four or five scenes already mm. in the website and I'm working on a, another scene, where which is probably the, the most dramatic scene I've, I've ever scored so far, okay. which is the scene where the, the the humans go and they attack the navis, when the when there's the fall of the tree. Yes, that's amazing. That's really really dramatic. Yeah. And I get like a heart attack when I'm scoring <laughs> it. I spend like every day scoring it. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. Uh, we are um, really excited about having you here in L.A. because I I really this the city is really interesting and you probably will agree with me. It, it's almost like it has a magnetic pull to it. And anyone that has. Uh, a vision and a passion and and a belief in themselves that they can contribute on a larger level scale is somehow pulled here uh, because of the creative factor that is just engulfs this this city here. I see Lo Los Angeles as a city for dreamers. Hmm. 
And and uh, it absolutely is. And, you know, it, it's been also a city of nightmares for some because there are many artists who come here and it's one reason they call it La La Land. Uh, but at the same time, it is the place where dreams really can come true. Yeah. And we saw that with David Cameron. Actually, David Cameron is Canadian. Uh, I'm Canadian as well. So, I mean, he's been on my radar from way back. And, yeah. you know, he's done the movies Titanic and Aliens and everyone knows Dave, David Cameron. But... Um, he left a small town that really is not even pronounceable in Ontario, Canada, mm -hmm. came to Los Angeles, pursued his passion, and currently has a net worth of almost $1.8 billion, has seen his movies go around the globe and back. And, uh, and, and, and that is because of his belief and in himself and in his vision. And I really do, I, it's difficult for you at home to, to see this, but I am getting bombarded by energies of passion from Leandro. And I'm not even joking. <laughs> like the energy in this room is so incredible because I can feel your strength behind this. And you, you are telling about James Cameron and his story is really inspiring. Mm -hmm. He was a truck driver and he used <laughs> to, he, for a few, for a few moments, he used to live in, in his car. Mm -hmm. He didn't have enough money. And uh, surprisingly, we see like uh, movies like uh, um, Aliens. They didn't have high budget for that. Right. It was kind of middle, low budget. The original Aliens, yes. But what this guy did, he's like uh, he's breaking paradigms in the movie industry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I guess with Avatar, <laughs> it's something totally new. Again. And the thing that I find very interesting with David Cameron is he he's not one of those directors um, that comes on the scene every year no he will take almost a decade to work a project to get it to the point where it is really perfect and then we'll share it with the rest of the world so these are these are big scale not immediate return efforts and it takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of drive and a lot of persistence and a lot of these traits that unfortunately not too many people want to Engulf and embrace. Yeah, uh, and he gives time to himself. Mm. That's one thing. Uh, people think, uh, no, I have to produce at, uh, almost every day. Yeah, probably you have to produce, mm -hmm. but you don't have to produce exactly one thing. Uh, I'm a composer, and I I would like to compose almost every day, but I don't compose almost every day. Sure. We uh, there's no way like the mm -hmm. the daily routine sometimes doesn't provide it for us. But like James Cameron, he reached the deepest. At the deepest spot in the in the sea. And yes, uh, literally, he went down there with technology to make this as authentic an experience for the rest of us as he possibly could. After Titanic, people wonder what what this guy is doing, enjoying the money that he earns. No, <laughs> he was exploring the sea, right? And yes. that's amazing. I really admire him mm -hmm. uh, for the way that he thinks life and the way that he strives himself mm -hmm. to make something bigger yes. for life. Yes. And and you clearly have uh, have a lot of that passion in you as well. What are your goals? Where do you see yourself 30 years from now? Oh, 30 years from now, I see myself as a successful film composer. Which you are today, but uh, <laughs> I hear what you're saying on a, on a, maybe on a more global level. Yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, being a father mm -hmm. of some which would be very nice. <laughs> no kids yet, correct? No, I don't. Although have you are, kids you yet. are married. Yeah, I'm married okay. <laughs> with a lovely wife. Yes, she is the one that made my website, and Fantastic. she's helping me a lot. 
she takes care about my Twitter, yeah. about I only take care about my Facebook, but now the rest <laughs> is, is it's, for her. It's nice to have that support, absolutely. Yeah, I have yeah. the support, not only for her, but mm. for, uh, from people, from my mastermind what does, your fam- what does your family think of you being out here and pursuing your passion? They are supportive. Mm. Yeah, they are supportive. My father wasn't supportive uh, when I decided to be a musician for the first time. Mm. But he decided, you are putting all your energy on that, and you know that is a very difficult career. I say, yeah, but what is an easy career? There's no easy career. And, uh, yeah, but today they, they are very supportive. It's interesting because um, I was watching, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, the, uh, the famous, oh, I'm having a mind blank. The famous, um, uh, oh, um, oh, my goodness, I can't even think of the, the, the movie I'm talking about. He's Canadian uh, comedian. Probably, I don't know. Oh, no, you do. You do Jim Carrey. <laughs> oh, Jim, Jim Carrey. Carrey. Okay. So Jim Carrey, uh, his dad had always wanted to be an actor. Um, but because he had a family, he thought, uh, that's a little too tricky. I'm going to become an accountant. So Jim Carrey's dad, even though he had a passion for acting, became an accountant. 20 years into, into a career, he was laid off. And Jim Carrey talks about this incident and he says, you know, that was a real turning point in my young mind because what Jim Carrey says he came to understand was you can fail at something you love, but you can also fail at something you don't love. So why not try for something you love? And I think that experience translated to fueling something in Jim Carrey and Jim Carrey's story was similar. He came to Los Angeles from Canada, lived in his, you know, lived really poorly and, and just had a big dream. And, you know, here we go, Jim Carrey 20 years later. So I think when you really do have something that is calling to your heart, you must listen to yourself because everyone around you is going to have their own ideas and their own opinions. And everyone means well. I'm sure your father meant well. And it was good advice. Hey, right. you don't want to be flipping burgers. <laughs> Uh, but you knew something inside yourself that you knew you were never going to flip burgers. Well, probably. Even I mean, you could. Yeah, I, I, and there's nothing against flipping burgers. If that's your thing, if you're a chef and you're a cook, I'd love to come eat at your restaurant. You know, but, yeah. you don't have to be driven by the difficulties of mm. life. You have to be driven by the passion that you have in your heart about mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And difficulty, yeah, it's part of the process. Yeah. Uh, people just go ahead when they see that all traffic lights are green Mm -hmm. for life and then they go ahead but the traffic lights not all the traffic lights will ever be green Mm -hmm. most of them for most of us they are red right (laughs) but it's up to us to make them become green Mm-hmm. And this is growth. This is personal growth. Mm. And to have the patience, the perseverance, the faith that they will in time turn green. Well, Compose for Avatar is something that shakes me. Yeah. Of course. I've never composed for a blockbuster movie and I'm striving to compose for a probably <laughs> the most expensive one. Ever. Ah, people say you are a dreamer. Yes, I am a dreamer, but the world mm-hmm. is moved by the dreamers. One of my favorite quotes is by uh, Les Brown. He's um, a really well-renowned public speaker. And uh, his quote is, shoot for the moon, because even if you fail, you will land among the stars. And that is so much higher than most people will ever land. So I commend you for your courage in pursuing this. Thank you. And, uh, and I, I really uh, was blown away when I first saw your medley and your, your, your clips from Avatar. 
you're working on a book, which for anybody in the composition world, I'm sure is going to be of immense interest when it is published. Mm -hmm. What else can we uh, expect from you over the next few years? Just continuation of Pursuit of Passion? Well, I want to score for the sequel. <laughs> the sequel will be up to 2023, I think, if sure. it's on schedule. Mm -hmm. and so, David Cameron and team, if you are out there and you are listening to this, take a moment. I promise you it will be well worth your time to look at the work that Leandro Gardini has done, leandrogardini.com, and uh, embrace the talent and 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 the the motivation that this person has and all of the potential that I see in front of you. I like the way the people here in the US they say uh, with the accent. Oh yeah. Leandro Gardini. Le Lea <laughs> I'm going to try it in, in Portuguese. No, I don't Le try. I'm going to try. Wait. <laughs> Leandro Gardini is how you say oh, it. Oh yeah, it's somewhat <laughs> like Spanish now. <laughs> it's, it's getting better. It's a little bit better than American. No, the Brazilian accent is like uh, very difficult to mimic. <laughs> okay, how say your name for us the way you would say it. Leandro Gardini. Ah, Gardini. But if I say I'm a descendant from Italians, I would say Gardini. Oh, Italian. yes. So yeah, I was going to say Gardini sounds Italian. Yeah, but Brazil, I'm Brazilian. And okay, I say yes. Gardini. Gardini. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Leandro, is there anything you would like to leave our viewers with in terms of thoughts, in terms of information about yourself before we, uh, we finish up today? Well, we were talking about dreams, mm -hmm. and uh, I think it's very important because everybody has a dream, everybody has a vision. And but a few of us only go after it, and mm -hmm. some go and they they give up. And if you never give up, you can never fail, mm -hmm. actually. And uh, hmm. don't look at the difficulties because difficulties is is a way for learning. And you we don't know all that we have to know. So embrace difficulties and go for your dream. That's the way you're gonna feel. The happiness inside yourself. I will be so thrilled to hear news of your becoming part of this bigger Avatar series project. I will uh, throw those good vibes and prayers into the universe for you because I really do believe it. I'm telling you folks, whoever's watching this, the energy in the room is incredible and that is coming all from this gentleman right here to my left. From you too. <laughs> you are great energetic people. Yes, well, it's it's important to be. We're alive. And I think that's a message that you were just sharing with people. If you have a passion, uh, regardless of what that is, even to spend time with your kids, do that. Uh, Leandro, um, leandrogardini.com, gardini.com. <laughs> yeah. You can go and you can find out more about this incredibly talented uh, music composer. Uh, you can always reach me, Katerina Kazayas, at KaterinaKazayas.com, uh, both on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, don't forget that you can tap in with us here at Concert Experience via our parent network, AfterBuzzTV.com. You can find us on our website, after, uh, AfterBuzzMedia.com, also via YouTube and iTunes Podcast. Uh, that is it for our show. It's too bad that it's over. I would love to talk to you for another hour. What a great moment. Thank you. Yes, thank you for being with us. It was a pleasure. It's right there. See you again. See you. Bye-bye. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV.
The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.